Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Well, hello, this is Pastor Jesse Wagoner, and I serve as the senior pastor of Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. And let me welcome you to this time of worship and time in the Word of God. In just a little bit, our praise team is going to be along to join in a great worship song with us, and I hope that'll be a blessing to you. And I'm looking forward to being back in just a little bit, sharing from God's Word with you. We call this program Living the Word Today because that's exactly what we want to help you do. Not only understand God's truth and understand His Word, but help you to live it today. And as we do, we just pray that this will be what is happening in all of our lives as we engage with God's Word. Uh, we uh, call it Living the Word Today, and the resources for Living the Word Today, additional teaching materials, subscribing to podcasts, all that sort of stuff, is available on the website, livingthewordtoday.com. If you want to know more about our church ministry here in the Charleston area, and we'd invite you to come, visit with us, be with us, that website is calvarywv.com. And once again, thank you for joining us today. In just a little bit, I'm going to be back as we open God's Word together, as we experience His truth, and as we learn to live His Word this very, very day. I've been thinking about the time and where does it go? I stopped my life passing me by, I don't know. I've been thinking about family, how it's going so fast. Singing, oh Lord, keep me in 
the moment. Help me live with my eyes wide open. Cause I don't want to miss what you have for me. Sing it up, Lord, show me what matters. Go away when I'm chasing Well, I want to share with you something about fathers, and I want to take you to a very familiar passage found in Luke chapter 15, and it's the story we often refer to as the prodigal son that son who deserts and then does come home. But I want to look at it today primarily from the point of view of the father because it's that father that we want to focus on today and he is the, obviously fulfilling the role in the parable of God's role in our life and also as an example to us as fathers and humans in general of how we are to respond to others, especially when they need to be restored. So we'll just talk to fathers today and I want to think about that. You know, fathers are, are interesting. Sometimes they're the butt of our jokes. I was looking at a couple definitions of, of fathers recently. Here's, here's one I found. Uh, a father, noun. Keeper of the wallet, coach of all sports, teacher of all things. See also, one who is almost always right. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Here's a little more extended definition of a father. A male parent with extraordinary superpowers, such as monster slaying, producing money from thin air, and balancing small humans whilst juggling tissues and disposing of insects. A previously hum humorous human being, now a purveyor of bad jokes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my all-time favorite definition, maybe you've heard me use it before, is fathers are, are men who raise daughters, who give them away to men who aren't nearly good enough so that they can have grandchildren who are better than anybody's. <laughs> okay, so there you go. There's fathers. But you know what? Fathers are important. Fathers are not, dis not, not optional. Uh, there's some research, and most of this data comes from uh, the Census Bureau, actually, but the, the significance of a father at home, just a father being in the home, a home with a father there, okay? Uh, this, this research does this. First of all, it suggests that there's a lack of inter interaction between fathers and infants can be a very strong forecaster of behavioral issues later. Fathers being absent in the home is linked to a higher suicide rate. In fact, suicide of young adults who had, didn't have fathers in the home, it's more than twice as likely that that will be an outcome. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. They have lower education levels. There's also a strong suggestion that the likelihood of young men who have who are in fatherless homes, they're more likely to engage in criminal activities. Interesting, the majority, the majority of inmates in penal institutions came from fatherless homes. They're more likely to be poor. The poverty rate is four times the rate of married couple families. More likely to be involved in drug and alcohol abuse. More likely to suffer health and emotional problems. And on and on that list goes. So you, I don't need to convince you. I don't need to be convinced myself that fathers are, are important because this is the way God set it up. And fortunately, even beyond that, we have a heavenly father who is there to meet our spiritual needs and really to meet all of our needs. So us as fathers, look to that heavenly father. Those of us who aren't fathers, look to that heavenly father. But here's what we can learn. We can learn about the father's place in his son's life. And we can expand this principle way beyond fathers and sons. We can expand this principle to the reality that indeed 
that indeed we can dispense grace for, for many others. So let's look into the story, and it's found in uh, Luke chapter 15. And in this amazing story, uh, we see this. Would you follow along as I read the scriptures today? And as we look into the scriptures today, uh, let's just, as we prayed earlier, let's continue to pray that God will open our hearts, okay? So in chapter 15, and you pick it up in verse 11, Jesus is telling a parable. Now, to understand the parable and all the parables that appear here, I want you to look back at chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then all the, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then he speaks these parables. So he's writing to people who were self-righteous, who thought that uh, they were better than the sinners. And rather than rejoicing that sinners were coming to the Savior, they were saying there must be something wrong with Jesus that he's associating with those sinners. The point they failed to, to, to gain and, and the point they miss is simply this. The only people Jesus had to hang out with were sinners. Even if you were a Pharisee or a scribe, you were still a sinner. There might be a difference in the amount of sin a person is involved in or the seriousness of that sin from the human perspective. But the fact is we all are sinners. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. So he wants to write their thinking to understand that, that we should not have this judgmental uh, look and outlook on people who are more sinful in their behavior as we perceive it than ourselves. So he tells the parable of, of, um, of the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the lost coin. And beginning in verse 11, he tells the parable of the lost son, what we, which we know as the prodigal son. Now, let's just get the background. Then we want to look specifically today at the role of the parent here, the role of the father. And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him all his livelihood. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. There's a lot about this I don't understand. Remember, the point of the message is to convince these judgmental Pharisees that they should dispense grace to sinners rather than judgment, okay? And he's subtly reminding them that it's, it's the grace of the Heavenly Father is all we have. It's not our own works. It's not our own righteousness. It's not you're better because you've done less sinning. It's we have received grace because we all are sinners. So why in this story are you to set up that, that this son does this horrible thing? Basically, the livelihood, the inheritance of the father would come when the father dies. Basically, he's rejecting his father. Basically, he's saying, Dad, you haven't died soon enough. I want my money now. It would have been a huge insult to his father, an enormous insult to the father. But the father, in a, in a, in a humble way, I guess, and maybe he knew, and maybe this is in the background of Jesus' mind as he tells the story, that maybe this father knew that he had to hit rock bottom before he was going to come to his senses. So he gives him the money, and the rest of the story we know fairly well. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all there, there arose a, we spent all there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. For a Jewish young man, this is the lowest of low. Okay, they're an unclean animal feeding the, the pigs. Okay, so you understand that. But it gets even worse. Not only is he at the hog pen, he's about to get in the hog pen. Okay, by the way. There's a whole message there to the prodigal about he could have turned around long before he got to the hog pen, but that's a different message. And it says, verse 16, he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. He was even desiring the, the hog food, if you will, because he was starving. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, 
here's this moment of self-realization. Hey, something's got to change. And here's what he says. And there's, there's some contrition here. There's some repentance here. That's important. It's not just that the father welcomes him home without a change of heart, but as, when that change of heart comes, he dispenses grace. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He says, even the, even the hired servants are doing better than I'm doing. I'll rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, quote, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Great admission. And that's, that unlocks that ability for that grace to, to be received by us. It's already been given by God, but to be received by us, it takes this, this reality that we have need, that we are indeed sinners. For I'm no longer, verse 19, worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. And we're going to stop there for just a moment, verse 20. Okay, so you got the story, right? We, we understand all that. But we want to think about the father. How is this father going to respond? It's the same way. Our Heavenly Father responds to our need. So I want you to think about that grace. I want you to embrace that grace. I want you to feel that grace today. I want, you, I want that grace to change you. Think of yourself, this, this contrite son coming home broken, penniless. He's been a failure. You talk about the embarrassment this must have been. You think of all the burden of what was on him. But he comes and he says, you know, Father, I don't, I don't deserve to be called your son. I, I don't deserve that. Just, just, just hire me to work for you. So I can at least have something to eat. So let's find out, first of all, how this father responds. And there's just some things I want to share with you, important points about how we can dispense this grace, the grace that we have received, okay? So we see it both from the father's point of view to us and how we can look at it from us to others, okay? Verse 20, and he rose and came to his father. This is key now. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice his response. First of all, this father is present with the son. He's, he's engaging with the son's needs. We call that he, he was present in the moment. He was there. He wasn't distracted. He was, didn't have to be called from his work. Where's the father positioned? He's looking down the road. And probably he's been looking down the road a long time, wondering if that son is ever going to come home. Maybe he's been praying. Maybe he's been fasting. He's been desiring that the son would come home. And he's looking. He looked from a long way off. He sees him coming. And he saw him. He was moved with, with, with this, this heart. But he was emotionally present. First of all, in that he saw. He'd been praying and longing. God is emotionally present with us. He knows how we feel. We have this great high priest who, it says in Hebrews, who can feel the feelings of our infirmities. You read all about in through the Psalms and those great emotional passages where God's heart is to us. He gives us his loving kindness, this great love that he showers. Most. He calls us his children, and he gives us grace that we have not earned, unmerited favor. He dispenses grace. It comes from this this longing that he gives, this looking, this longing, this praying. God is waiting for his prodigal to come home just as his father's waiting for his prodigal to come home. When we turn around from our sin and embrace faith in Christ, if you've done that, when you were saved, the father had been looking far longer than you know for you to come home. He was welcoming you. What is, what is he, how does he respond? I don't have anything to do with you. You've hurt me. He doesn't push away. He pulls in. Not only that, but notice it says he had compassion upon him. His heart was stirred. This was genuine. He wasn't putting on an act. This was genuine. He really cared for the son. He loved the son. He didn't let his own hurt, and he had every right to be hurt. He didn't let his own hurt get in the way of dispensing grace. This was a man, this was a father who knew something about the grace of God. 
And you and I need to be people that know something about the grace of God. We stand before God righteous in Jesus, not because we have done a single thing to merit that. We haven't done one act of, of worship, one act of kindness, one act of good that makes any difference in us receiving God's grace because it's unmerited. That's what grace is. He has loved us. We don't earn it. We just receive it. Some of us are, are tripped up oftentimes thinking we need to earn grace. We need to earn our way out of the hole that sin has left us in. It does not work that way. His grace is sufficient. His grace has been dispensed. So it comes from this heart of compassion. His, his concern was directed toward this son's need rather than the justice or the hurt he probably felt when it came to him. Because you think about it, God's grace was directed to us in spite of how we had offended him. We turned a back on, we turned a back on, his, on the fact that he created us, that he, he has sustained us, he has provided for us. We turned our back on him, but he receives us in compassion. Then it says he embraced him, falls on his neck and kissed him. There was that physical touch. See, this emotionally presence, emotional presence has to be expressed. And sometimes we men, particularly, and dads too, have a hard time expressing our emotions. You know, we, we were taught as young men, you know, you out on the ball field, you skin your knee, just rub some dirt on it, get back in the game, never let them see you cry. Well, you know, we have a heart. And there needs to be, our wives need that emotional connection. Our friends need that emotional connection. Our children need that emotional connection. And if we are emotionally distant and cut off from our children, they, they need to know that we value their feelings, that we welcome their thoughts, that we value them as a person that we care. And that's expressed through touch in a proper way and embrace and expressed. So he was emotionally present. He was also physically present, if you look on in the next verse. Uh, verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, notice he cut him off before he said anything about, I want to be one of your hired servants. He doesn't even let the, the whole confession get done that he, he interrupts. But the father said to his servants, bring the best, out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And when you read that, you say, what? I mean, this is amazing. This is shocking grace. You know, it, you would have thought it'd be like, you know what? I'm glad you're home. Glad you're safe but uh, you're going to have to re-earn my trust. You're going to have to work this off. You need to repay the debt you owe me. You need to go apologize to the whole family, the whole extended family. You need to give me account of all your sins. I want to know where every dollar went. I want, to, I want to know that you suffered out there in that pig pen. No. He simply physically dispenses grace through physical items. And we as parents need to do that as well. We provide for shelter and for education and care, medical care and and just, just, you know, food and substance for our families. But it's more than that because in that provision is, again, that, that connection of grace. I love you. I'm giving you my grace because God's given that to us. You think about it. Every, every meal we've had, every drop of water that, that, was, that, is, that has cooled our parched tongue, every time we've gotten better when we're sick, every, every breath of air we take is a gift of God. And there's three things he does. He says, put the robe on him. Reminds us of back in Genesis 37 where, where Joseph received this multicolored robe from his father. It's a symbol of honor. It's like you're part of the family here. He gives him a ring, which is probably a signet ring. Uh, in their day, men didn't wear wedding bands like we do. 
but the only ring they would carry was signet ring, which would be used to seal a document and into wax and were to make a seal. It was a way of signing your name to a legal document, if you want to say it that way. It's the symbol of his authority, honor and authority. You're part of the family. You're back in the family business. You're, you're restored back in. You say, that's almost unthinkable. It's unthinkable that God could give us that grace. And may God push us out to dispense some unthinkable grace to someone else that we're not going to give up on them. We're not going to quit. We're not going to end. We're going to keep pushing forward in our grace, in the grace that we can deliver. And then he says he puts shoes on his feet. Now, this is also a symbol. By the way, most acts in the ancient Near East, the Bible times, not only were they for physical needs, but they also were, were acts that were symbolic. So the, the shoes were a picture of freedom. If you had a slave that you thought was going to run away, you wouldn't give him shoes. You want to keep him close at hand. But if you, if you trust him, give him a good pair of shoes, which were probably lace on sandals in their day. So it's a picture of freedom. I give you freedom. I trust you, in other words. Did this son deserve any of that? Absolutely not. No wonder the older brother gets mad later in the story. And frankly, if I'd have been the older brother in the situation, I'd have probably been angry just like him. But instead, here's what God wants us to understand. It's what he wanted the Pharisees to understand. God's fierce love for us drove him to give us grace that we did not deserve. Grace comes, our, our, this, good, this good comes from grace. This action comes from grace, not from performance. We love people unconditionally as God has loved us. Think about it. Is there someone in your life that it's just hard to love them? You think that before you would love them, you know what? They got to come back and really apologize. They got to really say, so I, they, they, have to, they have to earn earn my favor again. Think about this. God has never, ever, and he never has, and he never will ever say that to you. So, Dad, we need to stay in the moment with our children physically. We need to be there. Show up at their games. Be there in life. Come home from work. Leave work at work. Be there with them. There's a song I want to share some lyrics with you uh, as well. It's a great song by Jeremy Camp, and uh, I just, just love this. But it's him sort of doing some self-reflection. It's called Keep Me in the Moment. He says, I've been thinking about time, and where does it go? How can I stop my life from passing me by? I don't know. I've been thinking about family and how it's going so fast. Will I wake up one morning just wishing I could go back? I've been thinking about lately maybe I can make a change. And let you change me. So with all my heart, this is my prayer. Singing, oh Lord, keep me in the moment. Help me live with my eyes wide open. Because I don't want to miss what you have for me. And part of us as dads, men, people, is we don't want to miss what God has for us. We've received this grace. Let's pass it on to someone else. Let's look at the rest of the father's story. And uh, it says... He's given this ring and so forth. And verse 23, and bring the fatted calf, verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Let's have a feast. And by the way, eating of meat was not real frequent in their diet. So it was a special day uh, to do this. Notice what he says, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And in verses 25, the older brother hears that he comes in. He refuses to come to the party. And he, he's really upset. It says in verse 28, he was angry, would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He's trying to dispense grace to this brother as well. He says, 25, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my, with my friends. As soon as this son of yours, notice he didn't say my brother, this son of yours came and has devoured your, living, your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf. But notice where the father goes back. It's where he started. 
He said, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Because this is not a story about performance. It's not about what the son did or didn't do. It's not about what the older brother did or didn't do. It's about grace, going from lost to found, dead to alive. Let me just take a moment and say to you, have you made that transaction from deadness to aliveness? Have you come to the place where you have accepted and embraced faith in Christ and thereby receiving his grace? Maybe you're still trying to earn your way to heaven. Friend, it's never going to work. The scriptures makes this absolutely crystal clear. You need to believe in what Jesus has done for you. We would love, I would love to have a conversation with you and lead, the, lead you to the Savior, help you understand if you need to have that kind of conversation. But you can do this even right now. Right now, in the, in, in, as you listen to this, you can pray, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, no doubt. I'm like that prodigal. I need to come home. I need to make that U-turn. I confess my sins. And Lord, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay my sins. That's all the, the only hope I got. I believe that. And through believing in that, I now receive your gift of forgiveness and your gift of eternal life. And when I step from this life into eternity, I step into your presence rather than judgment. And you can thank God for saving you if you prayed that prayer and really meant it. If we could have, to have an opportunity to have a conversation with you, help you understand that, just get in touch with us anytime. We would not think it's strange. We would, we would be like this father. We would rejoice that someone who's lost has been found. Someone who's dead spiritually has now come alive in Christ. It would be party time for us. Let us have that opportunity if we could help you in any way. But I want you to think about how he met his needs spiritually. He was not only emotionally present in the son's life. The father was not only physically present in the son's life, but he was spiritually present in the son's life because he knew what he needed most of all. He needed to, be re he needed to have this connection to the heavenly father, not just to his earthly father. And in this connection, he says he's going from lostness to foundness, from deadness to life. And what you Pharisees that are hearing the story Jesus would have, is implying, what you're missing is grace. What often we miss when we dis treat other people is what we're missing is grace. The issue is not whether someone is a good sinner or a bad sinner. The issue is they're a sinner. The issue for you and the issue for Jess is simply this. It's not whether I'm a good sinner or a bad sinner. It's that I was a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. But grace has come. This unmerited favor. God treats me favorably because of his grace. And in that grace, I have found salvation. And he is changing me. And I have a lot of things left to change, just as you do. But I want to be changing. I want to live in this moment. I want to be present in the lives of other people emotionally, to feel what they feel, to have compassion, to be longing for them to, 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 to move forward, to not give up hope but to keep believing that something can be better because grace is, God's grace is sufficient. I want to be physically present, to be there, to show up, to be engaged mentally, not to be distracted, to really be there in their presence and to express honor to them and this, that you're part of the family and treat them in some fashion that is at least approaching or at least reflecting in some small way the grace of God that's come into my life. We need to be there spiritually that we see that the need is the reception of God's grace, not earned, not won, not performance, but simply given as a gift of God, unmerited favor. Is there someone in your world that you could spiritually dispense some grace with? Uh, maybe it starts with just sharing your story of faith. 
and what God's grace means to you so that they can hear the story of Christ. Or someone you can sit down and have a Bible study with or share the scriptures with. With that in mind, that's an opportunity. Is there somebody you've had some problems with? Well, one of us don't have somebody that we have some problems with. That being the case, how can you dispense some grace? Maybe you can just release that in your own heart and say, Lord, I'm going to let love cover it. Love cover the, covers the multitude of sins. I don't need anything from them. I don't need anything restored. I've received your grace. What more do I need? I release them from that debt that I'm the one that thinks I'm keeping it on the books. You'll find great freedom if you'll do that. Maybe you need to restore a relationship by going to that person and having that conversation and say, you know what, I've been this way. I, I, I need to, I, we need to reconnect. How can we do this? Let me hear your side of the story. Let me apologize for anything I need to apologize for. Let's get this restored. Let's get this fixed. Let's move forward. Dispense some grace. May God help you, and he will help you, and I hope he'll help me. I know he will help me to be a person that understands in this picture of a father. You dads need to do it. We dads need to do it. But all of us need to do it. And it's what our Heavenly Father has done for us. He has given us His grace. Help us to be present physically, emotionally, and spiritually in the lives of other people. As we do, we're going to see what amazing things God's amazing grace can do. And may we constantly be amazed at His grace that He has given to us. Walk in grace as this Father does in this story and as our Heavenly Father does at all times in our life and in our experience. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the Scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you, and the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.